listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Let the Bible Speak. Today we come to the end of our studies in 1 Timothy. I think you'll admit that the topics that have arisen have been buried. I suppose they're more varied than even I expected when the study began. We do remember that Paul wrote the book to Timothy in order to give him instruction as to the conduct within the Church of Christ. 1 Timothy 3 verse 15 says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. In light of that, it is clear that these this letter has given us much details regarding the conduct, the behaviour within the church of Christ. But of course, we see that the church functions properly beyond what happens within the building. The church conduct also governs how the people think and how they live. And so we've confronted issues like church prayer in chapter 2 and the verse number 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. We've considered the church offices of elder and deacon in chapter 3. We've looked at the subject of care in the family in chapter 5. And more recently, we've seen the subject of money in chapter 6. And today we, today we come to these last verses. And let me read to you the two closing verses of 1 Timothy chapter 6, where Paul says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. And with the word of God in our ears, let's pray. Let's ask for God's help on our studies today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time again to think about the word, to consider your truth, the word that you've given to us by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. I pray that you'd bless every listener. I pray, O Lord, that they would hear your word and benefit from it. And we do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we have uh, considered First Timothy together, we have gone back and forward from considering the church as a community, as a body of believers, to also considering our conduct as individuals within the community. We've had occasion to consider family life and work life, in seeing godliness as something that governs every area of our lives. Let me say this just once more before we move on, and that is that the Christian faith should be seen in every corner of your being. There is no part of your life that should be untouched by your faith in Christ Jesus. When God saves a soul, he gives that soul a new heart, a new nature, new desires, new loves, And our love for Christ impacts every corner of our lives. And yet, 
When you survey 1 Timothy carefully, there is one message that Paul wants Timothy to grasp above all. And that message is the importance of teaching truth and guarding against error. Right at the very beginning of the book, in the first chapter, in the third verse, Paul says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. There was a concern that Paul had that there were those within the church who were teaching false doctrine. And so he says in the same chapter to Timothy, to Timothy his son, he says that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. On a very personal level, he tells Timothy in chapter 4, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. The importance of Christian doctrine in the life of the church cannot be overstated. We all want the Bible to have an impact upon our lives, I trust. But Christian living in the home in the workplace, in the society, Christian living will be right when the head is right. False doctrine leads to false living. When the head is wrong, the heart will be wrong. And when the heart is wrong, then the living is wrong that follows. It's very important that we have right doctrine, that we think truth clearly, that we believe truth, that we hold to the truth. This is what Paul is impressing upon Timothy, his son, in the faith. The importance of clear, sound doctrine. Therefore, it is not surprising that he signs off the letter and presents the matter to Timothy one last time. Note the emotion of the words, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. It is an earnest plea. Paul is saying, Timothy, Listen, my son, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Note to begin with the summons that is stated. Verse 20, keep. One word. It's in the command form. It's an active imperative. Keep on keeping. The word is used in a variety of ways in the New Testament, but the meaning is clear here. Something that is committed to his trust. It's one word in the original that means a deposit. Now, where do we usually de- deposit something? Well, we may deposit money into a bank. And our expectation is that the bank will keep, they will guard our money. Or a person, well, traveling may leave valuable possessions with someone. You, know, you can keep money by locking it up. But the word to keep here speaks of a guard posted It is someone who is watching over something committed to their trust. Hence, the value of this deposit requires more than lock and key. It's used that way in Acts chapter 28, where it says that Paul was suffered or allowed to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. This word to keep, it's a very personal word. It is and Paul is not telling Timothy to lock away the faith, the trust somewhere. Rather, Paul is telling Timothy, you yourself, you are personally responsible for keeping this deposit. 
keeping and guarding this trust. So what is it that he is to keep? Well, it is that which is committed to his trust. What's in view here? Well, to help us, I want you to think back to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and the verse 11, where Paul says, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is committed or was committed to my trust. So Paul understands the gospel as something that has been committed to his care, to his trust. Indeed, in the second epistle and in the second chapter, he will say this, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. And so this idea of committing something to trust is used consistently by Paul with respect to the truth, the faith of the gospel. And so what Paul is telling Timothy here is, he's saying, guard the gospel. There are those in the latter times who will depart from the faith. But it is your responsibility to keep and to guard the truth. The truth that he referred to in chapter 3. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. This is what Paul is telling Timothy to guard. He's telling Timothy to guard the truth. Oh, in God's grace the gospel has been revealed to man. The gospel truth does not originate with man. It is not a clever device of man. It is a divine revelation. That gospel is to be passed from one generation to the next. It comes in the forms of propositional truth. That is what's past. God manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, etc. Propositional truth. Accurate statement of doctrine to be passed from generation to generation. The gospel then is to be guarded by each subsequent generation. Let no generation be guilty of allowing the gospel to be defiled, to be robbed of its truth. No, we are to keep the truth. We are to guard the gospel. How is Timothy to do this? He is to do it consistently. I've mentioned already the grammar of this word keep. He is to keep on keeping. The sense is that the gospel will be assaulted with wave after wave of attacks. Timothy is to serve as a soldier on guard. He is to keep away. He is to repel every attack of the gospel. He is not to understand that if he succeeds once, then that is his task completed. Rather, he must be continually vigilant. He must consistently guard the truth. He is to guard it carefully. He is to avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Some of these words are hard to fully understand given the passing of history. But the idea is that Paul is telling Timothy, guard the truth from carnality, profane babblings, things that are marked by the flesh and not by the spirit, things that are vain and worthless. The idea is of false teachers who talk a lot and make no sense. They are full of hot air. He's to guard the truth from those who would promote carnality amongst the people of God. Things that are clearly untrue and therefore are of no benefit. He is to avoid opposition of science. 
What that means is that there are those who come with knowledge. They believe that they know certain things and they are against, they contradict the truth. Let's get one thing straight. The gospel has been decided. It is settled. Any new slant or new idea on the gospel isn't true. Some may speak convincingly. Others will bring what they claim to be new knowledge. These are false claims. There will be no new way to get to God. There will be no new revelation as to how you can be saved. Don't hold your breath waiting for a way that suits. The gospel has been revealed. Salvation is by faith in Christ and in Christ alone. Faith in his work. Salvation is found by the one who will take up his cross, deny himself and follow Christ. You see, let's just note one thing. Every error does not need to be refuted. Some things just aren't worth the time or the effort. Paul tells Timothy, simply turn your back and avoid interest. Avoid these things. The devil would gladly distract with all manner of speculation regarding religion. You think of the Da Vinci Code and all manner of similar false notions regarding Gnostic Gospels. Oh, such things, that they are not worth the attention. They're not worth the paper they're written on. The Bible, the Gospel has been revealed. If someone claims to bring new truth, don't waste your time pursuing that. Flee from it. Flee from all manner of novelties when it comes to the gospel. The gospel has been revealed, revealed centuries ago, and we simply have to hold on to that which has been revealed. We must take great care regarding the fundamentals of the faith. Even in our day, falsehoods are taught. Things are taught falsely regarding the doctrine of justification. How can a man be right with God? Some suggest justification is to do with the membership in a community rather than the salvation of an individual. Oh, dear soul, your justification is whereby God declares you as being righteous individually before God. There are others and they attack the doctrine of imputation. They deny that Christ's obedience can be put to our account. They deny that our sins can be placed upon Christ's account. Others deny the precious doctrine of the atonement. They see it as a display of love and not a matter of God punishing our sins upon the head of his son. Oh, there are things that are under attack even in our day. And people who teach these things, they have their books, they have their podcasts, their television and their radio shows. We must keep the truth. We must keep that which is committed to our trust. The gospel has been passed down, passed down to this generation and we praise God for his faithfulness in preserving his word. But let us resolve, let us resolve with all of our souls that we will guard the truth of Christ. That is something regarding the summons that Paul has given. In the second place, let's note the seriousness of the summons. Why is this so important? Well, Paul tells Timothy, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. It is important to keep the gospel, to guard the gospel, because some rather than avoiding falsehood, engage with it and embrace these notions, and as such they depart from the faith. It reminds us as we draw this series to a close that there is a vital necessity for gospel accuracy. It is important we know accurately what the truth is. 
Today, anybody who says they have any sort of faith is deemed to be saved and deemed to be religious. Not so with Paul. What you believe matters. It's not just about a claim to have faith. It's not just about do you believe, but it is about what do you believe. As we engage in gospel outreach, we may ask people, are you saved? Do you have faith? And they may answer in the affirmative. They may say, yes, I have faith. But what is their faith in? What do they believe the gospel is? How are sinners saved? You see, accuracy in these things is absolutely essential. Because saving faith is in truth. It is in Christ as he is revealed. Not a Christ of our imagination. Not a Christ of our invention. But a Christ of revelation. To be saved is to believe gospel propositions. Even back in Paul's time as he wrote Romans chapter 10, he described salvation in this way, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What he's saying is, salvation requires the confession with the mouth that Jesus is the Lord. That involves conviction regarding the person of Jesus. He is the Lord. He is God manifest in the flesh. He is the Lord who lived on this earth, lived a sinless life, died the death on the cross, not for his own sins, but for the sins of his people. He rose again the third day. He was obedient to his father, obedient even to the very point of death on the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, according to Philippians chapter 2, and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. So when we say Jesus Christ is Lord, we are confessing all of that revealed truth. You see, to believe a false gospel is to be damned. It is to be lost. And that is why we raise the issues of false teaching. That is why we raise the issues when it comes to a denial of Christ's person and his work. In the statement that Jesus Christ is Lord is the assumption that Christ's work is sufficient. You cannot say Christ has saved me, but I must also work in order that I secure my salvation. That is a teaching of many false religions. The Bible teaches that Christ's work is sufficient to save, not Christ plus sacraments, not Christ plus baptism or the Lord's Supper. Christ and Christ alone saves. That is why we can say Jesus Christ is Lord. His work was pleasing to the Father. His work was sufficient. And so when we trust in Christ, we are trusting in the sufficiency of his work. You see, to deny the fundamentals of the gospel is to deny the gospel itself. We must believe all the gospel to be saved. Those who err concerning the faith are those who miss the mark. To deny the virgin birth is to deny the gospel. To deny the bodily resurrection of Christ is to deny the gospel. A false gospel advances sacramentalism. A false gospel is to claim sacraments are essential for salvation. 
A false gospel, though, is also to espouse liberal theology, to deny the miraculous from the Bible. These are false doctrines, and to believe them is to err concerning the faith, and it is to damn our very souls. The Bible is clear. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And trusting him, trusting in the finality of his work, trusting in the sufficiency of his work, is the way whereby man is made right with God. That is the seriousness of the summons. And finally, as Paul closes this letter, he reminds Timothy of the strength that is needed to keep this summons. Paul is saying, Timothy, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Some professing falsehood have erred concerning the faith, but grace be with thee. This is a regular closing prayer in Paul's letters, grace be with thee. But this regular closing is not the same as us finishing a letter with the words yours truly or yours sincerely. Rather, this closing is a prayer, it is a recognition that obedience is only possible by the grace of God. In giving his own testimony, Paul would say, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I laboured more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. It is God's grace that saves. It is God's grace that keeps. It is God's grace that equips us to serve him. Grace is equivalent to strength in this context. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In all the matters raised in this letter, godliness, church conduct, family life, obedience in these things is all only by grace. I've said, I've made it clear again today, we are not saved by our works. But we do, as those who are saved, we do work and we do serve God. And to do so, we need the grace of God. Should we read these words and think to ourselves, I must try better? Yes, but we only do this in God's strength. And may God indeed bless his word in your hearing today. We do ask for God's blessing in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.